Chapter number three of Ben the Luggage Boy, or Among the Wharves. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are held in the public domain. If you'd like to find out more, or if you wish to volunteer, please visit us online at LibriVox.org. Recording by Luke Castle. Ben the Luggage Boy, or Among the Wharves, by Harito Agur Jr. Chapter three, Street Scenes. He's Broadway, said Jerry suddenly. They emerged from the side street on which they had been walking, and turning the corner, found themselves in the great thoroughfare, a block or two above Trinity Church. Ben surveyed the busy scenes that opened before him with the eager interest of a country boy who saw them for the first time. What church is that? he asked, pointing to the tall spire of the imposing church that faces Wall Street. That is Trinity Church. Do you go to church there? I don't go anywhere else, said Jerry. What's the use of going to church? I thought everybody went to church, said Ben, speaking from his experience in a country village. That is, most everybody, he corrected himself, as several persons occurred to him in his mind who were more punctual in their attendance at the liquor saloon than the church. If I had got good clothes like you have, I'd go see what it's like, but I'd have sat rather to go to the old Bowery Theater. But you ought not to say that, said Ben, a little startled. Why not? Because it's better to go to the church than the theater. It is, said Jerry. Well, you can go if you want to, and I'd give more for a thought an old play at the Bowery than fifty churches. Ben began to suspect that Jerry was rather loose in his ideas on the subject of religion, but did not think it best to say so for fear of giving offense, though in all probability Jerry's sensitiveness would not have been at all disturbed by such a change. During the last portion of the conversation, they'd been standing still at the street corner. I'm going to Nashy Street, said Jerry. If you want to go up Broadway, that's the way. Without waiting for an answer, he darted across the street, threading his way across the numerous vehicles with a coolness and success which amazed Ben, who momentarily expected to see him run over. He drew a long breath when he saw him safe on the other side, and bethought himself that he would not like to take a similar risk. He felt sorry to have Jerry leave him so abruptly, the black boot had already imparted to him considerable information about New York, which he saw to be a likely benefit to him. Besides, he felt that any society was better than solitude, and a sudden feeling of loneliness overpowered him, as he felt that among the crowd of persons that jostled him as he stood at the corner, there was not one who felt an interest in him, or even knew his name. It was very different from his native village, where he knew everybody and everybody had a friendly word for him. The thought did occur to him for a moment whether he had been wise in running away from home. But the thought of the unjust punishment came with it, and his expression became firmer and more resolute. I won't go home if I starve, he said proudly to himself, and armed with his new resolution, he proceeded up Broadway. His attention was soon drawn to the street merchants doing business on the sidewalk. Here was a vendor of neckties, displaying a varied assortment of different colors, for only twenty-five cents each! Next came a candy merchant with his stock and trade, divided into irregular lumps and labeled a penny apiece. They looked rather tempting, and Ben would have purchased, but he knew very well his cash capital amounted to only 25 cents, which, considering that he was as yet without income, was likely to be wanted for other purposes. Next came a man with an assortment of knives, all of them open and sticking into a large board, which was the only shop required by the proprietor. Ben stopped a moment to look at them. He had always had a fancy for knives, but was now without one. In fact, he had sold a handsome knife which he received as a birthday present for 75 cents to raise money for his present expedition.
of the sum, but twenty-five cents remained. "'Will you buy a knife today, young gentleman?' asked the vendor, who was on the alert for customers. "'No, I guess not,' said Ben. "'Here's a very nice one for only one dollar,' said the street merchant, taking up a showy-looking knife with three blades. "'It is the best of steel warranted. You won't get another such knife for the price in the city.' It did look cheap, certainly. Ben could not but allow that. He would have owned it, but his circumstances forbade. "'No, I won't buy today,' he said. "'Here, you shall have it for ninety-four cents,' said the vendor, as he began to roll it up in a piece of paper. "'You can't say it isn't cheap.' "'Yes, it's cheap enough,' said Ben, moving away. "'But I haven't gotten the money with me.' This settled the matter, and the dealer reluctantly unrolled it and replaced it among his stock. "'If you call around tomorrow, I'll keep it for you till then.' "'All right,' said Ben. "'I wonder,' he thought. Whether he would be so anxious to sell if he knew that I had run away from home and had but twenty-five cents in the world. Ben's neat dress deceived the man who naturally supposed him to belong to a city family well-to-do. Our young hero walked on till he came to the Astor House. He stood on the steps a few minutes, taking a view of what may be considered the liveliest and most animated part of New York. Nearly opposite was Barnum's American Museum, the site being now occupied by the costly and elegant Herald Building and Park Bank. He looked across to the lower end of the City Hall Park, not yet diverted from its original purpose for the new post office building. He saw a procession of horse cars and constant motion up and down Park Row. Everything seemed lively and animated, and again the thought came to Ben. If there's employment for all these people, there must be something for me to do. He crossed to the foot of the park and walked up on the Park Row side. Here again he saw a line of street merchants. Most conspicuous were the dealers and penny ballads, who were lying the railings and were various enough to suit every taste. Here was an old woman, who might have gained a first prize for ugliness presiding over an apple stand. "'Take one, honey, it's only two cents,' she said, observing that Ben's attention was drawn to a rosy-cheeked apple. Ben was rather hungry, and reflecting that probably apples were as cheap as any other article of diet, he responded to the appeal by purchasing. It proved to be palatable, and he ate it with great relish. Ice cream and the penny a glass, was the next announcement. The glasses, to be sure, were a very small size. Still, ice cream in any quantity for a penny seemed so ridiculously cheap that Ben, poor as he was, could not resist the temptation. I'll take a glass, he said. A dab of ice cream was deposited in a glass and with a pewter spoon was handed to Ben. He raised the spoon to his mouth, but alas, the mixture was not quite so tempting to the taste as to the eye in the pocket. It might be ice cream, but there was an indescribable flavor about it, only to be explained on the supposition that the ice had been frozen dishwater. Ben's taste had not been educated up to that point which would enable him to relish it. He laid it down with an involuntary contortion of the face. Give it to me, Johnny, he heard at his elbow. Turning, he saw a small, dirty-faced boy of six with bare feet and tattered attire, who was gazing with a look of greedy desire at the delicious mixture. Ben handed him the glass and spoon, and stood by, looking at him with some curiosity as he deposited the contents with a look of evident enjoyment. "'Do you like it?' he asked. "'It's bully,' said the young epicure. If Ben had not been restricted by his narrow means, he would have purchased another glass for the urchin. It would have been a very cheap treat. But our young adventurer reflected that he had but twenty-two cents left, and prudence forbade. "'I don't see how he can like the nasty stuff,' he thought. But the time was to come when Ben himself, grown less fastidious, would be able to relish food quite as uninviting. Ben made his way across to the park and Broadway again. 
He felt that it was high time for him to be seeking employment. His ideas on the subject were not very well defined, but when he left home, he made up his mind that he would try to get a place in a store on Broadway. He supposed that among the great number of stores, there would be a chance for him to get into someone. Expected to make enough to live in a comfortable boarding house and buy his clothes, though he supposed that would be about all. He expected to have to economize on spending money his first year, but his second year, his wages would be raised and then it would come easier. All this shows how very verdant and unpractical our young adventurer was and what disappointment he was preparing for himself. However, Ben's knowledge was to come by experiments, and that before long. Reaching Broadway, he walked up slowly on the west side, looking in at the shop windows. In the lower part of the busy street are many wholesale houses, where the upper part is devoted principally to retail shops. Coming to a large warehouse for the sale of ready-made clothing, Ben thought he might as well begin there. In such a large place, there must be a good deal to do. He passed in and looked about him rather doubtfully. The counters, which were numerous, were filled high with ready-made garments. Finn saw no one as small as himself, and that led him to doubt whether his size might be an objection. Well, Sonny, what do you want? asked the clerk. Do you want to hire a boy? asked the young adventurer, plunging into his business. I suppose you have considerable experience in the business, said the clerk, inclined to banter him a little. No, I haven't, said Ben frankly. Indeed, I judge from your look that you are a man of experience. If you don't want to hire me, I'll go, said Ben independently. Well, young man, I'm afraid you'll have to go. The fact is we should have to hire you before we could hire you. And the clerk laughed at his witticism. Ben naturally saw nothing to laugh at, but felt rather indignant. He stepped into the street, a little depressed at the result of his first application. But then as he reflected, there was a great many other stores beside this, and he might have better luck next time. He walked on some distance, however, before trying again. Indeed, he had got above Blacker Street when his attention was arrested by a paper pasted inside of a shop window, bearing the inscription, Cash Boy Wanted. Ben did not clearly understand what were the duties of a cash boy, though he supposed they might have something to do with receiving money. Looking in through the glass door, he saw boys as small as himself flitting about, and this gave him courage to enter and make an application for a place. He entered, therefore, and walked up boldly to the first clerk he saw. Do you want a cash boy? he asked. Go up to that desk, Johnny, said the clerk, pointing to a desk about midway of the store. A stout gentleman stood behind it, writing with something in a large book. Ben went up and repeated his inquiry. Do you want a cash boy? How old are you? asked the gentleman, looking down at him. Ten years old. Have you ever been in a store? No, sir. Do you live in the city? Yes, sir. With your parents? No, sir, said Ben with hesitation. Who do you live with, then? With nobody. I take care of myself. Humph. The gentleman looked a little surprised, not at the idea of a boy of ten looking out for himself, for such cases are commonly enough in New York, but the ideas of such a well-dressed lad as Ben being in that situation. How long have you been your own man? He inquired. I've only just begun, Ben admitted. Are your parents dead? No, sir, they're alive. Then I advise you go back to them. We don't receive any boys into our employment who do not live with their parents. The gentleman returned to his writing, and Ben saw that his case was hopeless. His disappointment was greater than before, for he liked the looks of the proprietor, if, as he judged, this he was. Besides, boys were wanted, and his size would be no objection, judging from the appearance of the other boys in this store. So he had been sanguine of success. Now he saw that there was an objection which he could not remove, and which would very likely stand in his way in other places.
end of chapter three.